Right. Welcome in. Welcome back. I got, I got to tell you guys, I feel horrible that I missed a week last week, but life came calling and I was in Florida for a week and I felt like as soon as I left, everything started happening. Camp started happening. There's a ton of information and I was out of the mix. So I apologize for that. And here's what I'm going to tell you. From now through the playoff, we're not missing a week. Every single week, we're going to add some segments during the season. So this is it. We're in it for the long haul. So let's get to it. There's a ton, ton, ton of Notre Dame stuff to talk about. It's actual football. Not me talking in July about what this and what that. We actually have stuff to talk about that's happening on the field. I can't wait. I'm excited. Let's get the propers out of the way, and then let's do this thing right. Obviously, you can find me on YouTube at Always Irish. You can also find us on iTunes, Always Irish, Twitter at JKZND4, or type in Always Irish. I will pop right up. We're on Stitcher and Google Play as well. So here's, here's where we're going to start. As many of you know, I, I was in Florida for a, a, a solid week, and, and I was out of the mix, and, and I got back late last week just trying to get caught back up with work and everything else, and uh, I play, I'm play. i recording this on Sunday night, so if anything breaks Monday, it's not going to be on the show. This is a Sunday evening edition, and uh, I got to tell you, I, I play golf Sunday mornings uh, in Illinois. We have a standing tee time. I'm on the road by 6.30 or 7.00. Um, because I don't have the patience to play behind a million people. So I'd rather get there early and play fast. Uh, but I was driving there today out in the country, you know, out of the city, just fields. And, and I'm driving to this golf course we play every week. And I'm looking around. I got the windows down. It's nice and crisp in the morning. And I got to tell you guys, it feels like fall's creeping in. Yeah, I, I'm in Illinois. I don't know where you all are, but those leaves are slowly starting to turn. Um, there's that little crispness to the air. That, that It's still warm. It's still summer, but that little hint of, of crisp, in, and it, it gives me chills, and it just it, – it's, it's romantic. It's intoxicating. It means football's here, and I couldn't be happier. It's, this is what we waited for. All these shows I've been doing have been leading up to this. Actually having camp and something to talk about. But football's here. And, and, and you know, the other thing I, I was going to say is, you know, camp starts and everybody's writing reports about what happened the very first day of camp and all this stuff. And my, my immediate gut reaction is to say, you know, and it's day one of camp, everybody's overreacting, whatever, you know, for getting that into the results of what happened in one or two days or whatever before we're in full pads or what what have you. And and you know what, though? I'm going to backpedal on that. Um, with everything going on in society and, and these mass shootings and all this stuff, you know what? If, if you are fortunate enough that you're not directly affected by that, and so you can worry about it just for the safety of everybody, but also be able to call, if you're fortunate enough to be able to call timeout and dive into something that you really love that makes you happy, like fall camp and football, whether it's NFL or college, 
you know what? Good for you. Good for you with everything going on uh, and the, the politics and everything, you know, on Twitter, everybody's pointing fingers, arguing about everything. If you could find something innocent like this to dive into as your little escape, good for you. And so I, I'm not going to blame anybody for doing that. I think everybody's ready for, for football just to to give us something else to look at or to um, take our attention away from, from some of the ugliness that's going on. So I can't fault anybody that. I, I really can't. So uh, more power to you. So that, that being said, this is a, while it's exciting because we love to have football back, it's also a little bit of an uncomfortable time of the year for me. Um, and, and the reason I say that is, you know, when you get into the regular season, it's objective. It is what it is. We all see the same Notre Dame football games and can form our opinions based on what's in front of our eyes. The tricky part about this time of the year is we're not there. These practices are not on TV. Yeah, I know you're going to see a 10-second clip of somebody making a play on Twitter, but we're not there to see everything. So what that means is for your information this time of the year, you're reliant upon those outlets that actually have access to practice. Um, and, and there are a handful of them that are reputable, been doing it for a long time, uh, that, that get to watch the open practices and then report on what they see. So it's good that Notre Dame gives some of these people access so we could get an idea of what's going on. The downside is, uh, since I'm not seeing it with my own eyes, the best I could do is find these people that are there and look at what they are saying and writing and, and, and kind of go from there. And it's uncomfortable, though, because I'm not actually seeing it. I got to go by what other people are seeing. So, so here's what I did to formulate a lot of the opinions that are, are going to come out on this particular show from the opening week of camp. And here's what I did. I took those handful of sources that are trusted, been around forever, have longtime access to Notre Dame. And then I listened and read what they had to say. And there's about, I'd say, four of them. You know who they are. Blue and Gold Illustrated, you know, Irish Illustrated. Um, those kind of people have access, and I trust them. They've been around forever. Irish Sports Daily. Okay, these are longtime guys. So what I did was read and listened to what three or four of these groups said and tried to pull out the stuff that all of them kind of highlighted because I'm figuring – yeah, sometimes people are going to see little pieces of this and that that matter to them or that stuck out to them, and, and everybody's different in that regard. But when you have three or four media entities that can all come to consensus on certain things, I think that's enough that that's valuable uh, and that we could kind of trust if three or four different groups of people that do this for a living all are on the same boat on some of these things – I'm pretty comfortable saying that it's probably accurate, you know, so overall, it's an uncomfortable exercise because I'm not there every day. Uh, but th so that's kind of how I'm gathering my information. It's not one source. I don't trust that. But three or four and pulling what they all kind of agree on. And when I went through this, it, it was all pretty much the same stuff. And so what I want to do is. I'm going to look at some of these initial reactions from the first week of practice that these guys had, 
And then I'm going to give kind of my opinion on it uh, based on what they're saying and where we're at in camp. And and that's, I think, a good start to this camp stuff. We're going to see if, if what we've been talking about, you know, the last few months is what they're seeing, uh, some surprises. You know, the reality is there's good, bad, and ugly already. And so we're going to cover the good, bad, and the ugly already from week one. The other thing that you're going to notice I'm going to do is as we move through some of this information, I'm going to point out certain things that I think are particularly relevant to the Georgia matchup. Because as we get into the early part of the year, there's there's two games Notre Dame should win by a bunch, a bye, and then Georgia. So to me, in a lot of ways, the season-defining game, uh, it, it, unlike Michigan, isn't the first week. And so it's a little different and in some ways will benefit Notre Dame. Uh, but you are going to see me relate some of this stuff to Georgia just because that's the one everybody has circled. That's the litmus test. That's telling you if you're rebuilding or reloading. And that's a major, major difference between the two. Now, I, I know some of you are so amped up about everything that you're really into actual statistics from practices. How many throws everybody completed? You know, how many of these interceptions were thrown, were tipped? How many balls were thrown here and there? I, even me, the psycho that you guys know, have come to know, I can't get, I can't find myself getting that wrapped up into all that stuff. Uh, so I, I just can't. There's too many non-real football factors, like, like not being able to rush the passer or a quarterback not being able to tuck it and run because of the drill they're doing, or they're not even in full pads. Like, like there's so many things there that I, I don't, I'm not going to pull out these statistics from practice and, and go off those that it's going to tell me something. I'm looking for consensus themes overall from the first week. That That's what I'm looking at. I am not I am admittedly not comfortable analyzing any deeper than that just because there's too many weird factors at practice. It's not real football. You you really want to judge how many things are done when guys are in shorts and a t-shirt? I get it. We're all excited football's back. We're going to jump on all the information that we have. I get that. But I just can't go there. So if you want that from this show, you're not going to get it of, of a report of how many passes were completed exactly by who. Uh, I, I, this ain't that show because it, it's. I don't think it's valid. So we're looking for general big consensus themes about individual players and groups. That's what we're looking at today. All right. So what we're going to do is I just have my pages and pages of notes just based on how I listened and read the information. And I'm not even going to manipulate them. We're just going to literally go down my sheets of notes and talk about them. So, so here's where we're going to start. Uh, we need to do news first, okay? But before we get into personnel groups and who's shining and, and uh, who's shining in practice and whatever, we got to get to news. And uh, so first off, the captains were named. I believe that came out, what, Friday or Saturday on Twitter? They they posted it. And, and it's Ian Book, Gilman, Aquara, Kareem, Elliot, Fink, Hamesy. Okay, so those are the, what is it, seven, right? One, two, three, yeah, seven captains. Um, uh, what are my thoughts on this? I, is anybody shocked by any of this? Like like those, I'm, I'm fine with it. And this is something that 
Notre Dame people get oddly weird about captains. When they're named, how they're named, how many. Uh, even this news came out and people were... It's a weird thing to get caught up on, I, I think. Like, I'm a, I'm a psycho and, and I don't... This is just in the big scheme of things, not something I'm going to get worked up on one way or the other. But a lot of people do. Um, the Notre Dame captaincy thing I found is a big sticking point. It's like the shirt. It's like it's something that P Notre Dame people wig out about that I just don't. I just it's just not that big of a deal to me. Like, is it, does anybody not want any of these guys to be captain or think they shouldn't be like this is fine with me. You got the quarterback, which makes sense. Gilman and El Elliott are obvious leaders. Then your two defensive ends who wreak havoc, and then a guy on the offensive line. I'm fine with it. Like, it's it's fine. It's just fine. The only time I will ever have a problem with Notre Dame naming captains is when they name somebody a captain who doesn't perform well on the field. To me, that's a big deal. I, that's the only problem I'm ever going to have with naming captains is if it's a guy I don't see out there make a big time plays. Okay. This is not major league baseball where you can have a 40 year old and call him the captain of your team, you know, based on merit and long-term being around uh, the old sage veteran. I think it's important that your captains be guys who make plays on the field and lead by example on the field and are good leaders in the locker room. So I have no problem with any of these guys because they all make plays. Moving on, this is not ideal, but what's every single team's number one priority when you get to camp? It's avoiding injury and keeping guys safe. So first off, Quinn Carroll out for the year. It's a leg. I, I forget if it's an ACL or what, but, but it's going to be a, one of those year-long deals. The reality is he probably would have red shirt anyways. So obviously you never want any of our guys to go down clearly, obviously, you know, but if you have to have a lineman go down, a guy who wasn't going to play much or was possibly going to red shirt is the best case scenario. If a guy has to go down, um, we also have here. This is a big update too. And with all the other news coming out of camp, I feel like this hasn't been talked about as much. But Aaron Banks seems to be very, very healthy. He had that little foot procedure or ankle or whatever. And people were nervous about if he's going to be ready for camp. I've heard that he looks absolutely fine. He's not ginger at all. He's participating and everything's good. So that's a good injury update. Um, you have Jameer Smith with the hand. I think he broke a hand. Uh, he's got one of those hard casts on. But I've heard he's still practicing like... In the big scale of things, I, I mean, if, if that's your ding for that group, I, I can live with it. Obviously, you don't want anybody to get hurt, but this is football. Stuff happens. And so there, there's really no way to avoid the big one. It's it's Cole Komet uh, with the broken clavicle, the collarbone. Uh, apparently, he went up and made a great contested catch over Gilman, and Gilman was all over him like he does. And landed on him, and it just cracked. I, I, it's just, it is what it is. None of us like it. It's just football. I've seen people question whether Aloe was too physical or whatever for this drill and all this kind of stuff. These guys got to play football. They're excited to play football. You, Aloe Gilman blankets people in coverage. That's what he does. He's really physical. How can you tell him just not do that? 
Okay, you play how you practice. So for any to, anybody to be like, oh, Aloe should have pulled off or whatever. No, you can't do that. That's his game. And you know what? Komet went up and made a good play and landed weird. That That's just football. So what does that change? Well, first off, there's I've been reading anything from three to ten weeks as a recovery time here. Seriously, three to ten weeks. Now, you would like to think a finely tuned athlete with state-of-the-art you know, medicine and everything else that Notre Dame's going to provide would be on the front end of that recovery, but you just don't know. Everybody's different. Every situation's different. The one benefit I do think we have, again, is, to me, in a lot of ways, the season starts at Georgia, and this is not the same as if the first game was Michigan like last year and you had to get it. So you're gaining another three or four weeks of healing time between Louisville, New Mexico, the bye, and then Georgia. So whether he could be back in time for that or not, I don't think anybody knows. We're just going to have to see how it goes. Now, again, is this the hugest deal? No. I mean, it's not losing Ian Book or Aquara Kareem or, or somebody like that. But this changes your early season dreams of these two tight end sets and seeing a lot of that stuff passing up the seam and all that stuff I wanted to see. I think that's going to change some of this now. Because I just don't think that Brock Wright and Tommy Tremble are ready to do that in the way they were ready to do it with Cole Komet. So I just think things are going to change now. So those two tight end dream sets that we like, uh, I, I just think you're going to have to scale that back until he's back. Uh, and so that sucks. It's a setback. He's a good player. Everybody was highlighting him, expecting big things from him this year. And we still might see it. Um, but it isn't going to be the first couple weeks. So again, I think this is the benefit of being able to ease into the season with two super winnable games where you should kick the crap out of somebody and a bye before your big test against Georgia. So that is what it is. Other news, we want to keep the family of Mike Bennett in our thoughts. He's a 40-year uh, photographer at Notre Dame. Everybody loved him. He's a huge Notre Dame guy. Been there 40 years. All the players loved him. All the coaches. Highly respected guy. He had lost a battle with cancer, um, but a 40-year Notre Dame guy. And so we want to keep his family um, in our in our thoughts. Uh, that That's... That's a Notre Dame dude right there. Like that's just a dude who lived it. And and uh, so uh, we God bless him and his family. The other news is just kind of out of nowhere, Derek Allen's transferring. Okay. Like, fine. Uh, uh, what do you want me to say? Oh, okay. So I've heard multiple different things as far as reasons for this and all of that. And, and I believe it's probably a combination of a bunch of different things. I don't think it's just one thing. You know, you, you'll hear, oh, well, look at what Kyle Hamilton's do. Jumped him in the depth chart. Boom, there you go. I've heard homesick. Boom, there you go. Uh, I've heard a little bit of struggles in the classroom. Boom, there you go. So wh whatever it is, he's transferring. So let, let's deal with it. Uh, what this does is Notre Dame was already in a position where they had to really press and struggle to fill out the secondary recruiting classes moving forward both at corner and safety, in my opinion, this just the importance of that just got ramped up again because here goes a guy that Notre Dame staff had pegged as some of them a four-star talent 
and now he's leaving. So that ramps up the importance and critical nature of recruiting the secondary at Notre Dame. That has traditionally been a problem for us. Um, and, you know, a lot of times people just say, oh, look at look on the field. We get, It's great. Well, yeah, right now it's great. You got to look at what's coming. I always talk about those choppy recruiting classes where you have some of these misses and it's fine the first couple years. But then once it's those guys turn to play, you see that void. OK, that's what we need to uh, we need to avoid. And so the the importance of recruiting the secondary just got ramped up because now you lost a guy who had a lot of talent. So good luck to the kid. Um, whatever. It just seems like there were multiple struggles, and that's just the way it goes. Everybody loses some kids. All right. Now that we got that out of the way, let, let's look at some of these notes from early in practice. Now, I, I can't Again, I'm not going to sit there and update every single day how many passes everybody's completed, blah, 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 blah. But I'm going to hit the general notes and give my thoughts. So so now we're going to get into that. So first off, Ian Book, I don't think he looked the sharpest uh, early on in the week and the first couple practices um, from all accounts. And, uh, you know, some of the timings off with some of these routes and that kind of stuff. Uh, but the big thing that everybody said is he looks noticeably filled out and it looks like he's gained about 10 pounds of muscle. And I, and I love that because I don't think it's going to slow him down, but I do think it's going to make him uh, able to absorb some of the, some more hits because um, he likes to tuck in and run and he's all day tough when he does it. And we appreciate that. So I'm fine with him putting on the weight as long as it's muscle weight and it doesn't slow him down. But he looked noticeably filled out to everybody who was at practice. That's a good sign. And and so here's my takeaway on Ian Book right now. I'm not worried about him looking a little rusty on some of these crossing routes and stuff in week one of camp, okay? I trust Ian Book enough that I know he's going to be fine once the game comes in terms of what he's already been doing well, which are those short intermediate throws and the accuracy there and, and all that. I I just trust him, and I expect him to get a little better at it. So I am not worried about that kind of stuff with Ian Book. He's going to be fine at what he's good at, and he should improve at what he's already proven to be good at. I think it, it, it sounds like he's walking around camp with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, there's no quarterback competition, which I'll get to in a little bit. But he knows he's the dude and he's he's the leader of that offense and he's confident. I love that. I'm totally fine with that. You need your quarterback to have that. So I'm cool with all of that. Here's the only thing I'm looking for for Ian Book, and I'm not going to know it till actual games. The one thing he needs to do more than anything else is start connecting on these deep balls more. That's it. That's all I'm looking for from him. And so whatever's happening in practice and if the offense is a little, their timing isn't perfect right now and all that stuff, cool, fine, whatever. I, that is the one thing you should be looking at for Ian Book. And I don't care how many he completes in practice. I'm not going to believe it till I see it in a game. For this offense to take the next step, Ian Book needs to at least have the threat of taking the top off these defenses. It just has to be there. We have to see it. And he has to connect on some of them to keep these teams honest on defense. Okay? They're not... The book's out on Ian Book. 
Teams are not just going to let him dump it off in the flat for six yards every time. Okay? People are too smart for that. The offense needs to evolve. So that's literally all I care about from Ian Book is seeing him complete those long passes. That is the next step that will open up everything. That will open up the running game. That will find our fast guys over the middle, Chris Fink, Michael Young. Give them more space over the middle as these safeties and linebackers have to drop back, afraid that they're going to drop a dime over the top. Okay, so that is it with Ian Book. That is what I'm looking for. That is honestly the only thing, aside from him staying healthy, that I'm concerned about. The rest of it, I trust him to be fine at. You know, and then, of course, it was like, oh, well, there's, you know, three or four interceptions thrown and everybody was freaking out about it. And then some of them were tipped like I, I just can't. I just can't allow myself to get sucked in to be all concerned about that at this point. I'm not seeing it with my own eyes. I don't know the situations. Uh, you know, if a ball's bobbled or tipped, that's not Book's fault. You know, like I don't see these, so I can't freak out about it, okay? Now, when you want to start talking about Phil, it, it's... It's a little, it's frustrating talking about Phil. It really is. Like from day one in camp, people were like, you know, he was having that Brandon Wimbush, Everett Golson thing where you can't complete the short passes, like even dump offs. And there were like wounded ducks, not spirals like that. That was the first re day report from Phil. And, and obviously that as somebody who's noted as saying, I thought Phil should be further along, if not challenging Ian Book for this job this year, just based on his pure athleticism. I've, I've been frustrated with that. That's not what you want to hear for the first day of camp. Um, you know, Brian Kelly said, you know, it's fine and we don't want to mess with his motion. Too late. Brian Kelly's already messed with his motion. That's just a fact. Brian Kelly's already messed with his motion. That's already happened. So maybe he means he doesn't want to mess with it anymore. But he's already messed with it. Okay? So whatever, Brian. I know for a fact you messed with this guy's throwing motion. So, so, but then it seemed like as the week went on, this, this problem kind of went away. So maybe that's just a matter of a guy with all this pressure from people like me saying he should be further along. And, and he had a rocky blue and gold game. And this is the next chance in front of people to prove himself. So maybe he's just pressing a little bit. There's a lot on this kid. And so I understand that. But it sounded like he got better as the week went on. I just am documented in general as saying, I just kind of feel like if he is as athletic and a freak that everybody was saying he was, I don't see why he can't be challenging for this job this fall. And it's just not happening. So... Whatever, And a part of that is because Ian Book is so reliable and so efficient. I understand that. Okay, but but this kid was supposed to be a freak and the answer and the next big thing. So I, I just expected it to be further along. But here's the other thing with Phil that's very, very interesting. And everybody I listened to and read brought this up. Now, when Ian Book is all accurate on these short intermediate throws, leading the country or close to it in completion percentage and all that kind of stuff... And Phil was struggling with that. Almost every single beat writer said that Phil throws the most gorgeous long ball that they've seen since Jimmy Clausen. 
Every single outlet said that. That this kid throws an absolutely amazing deep ball. Like, huge arm, perfect spiral, leading guys. Like, And, and so then you get frustrated because you're like, that's what I need for me and Book. If we had that for me and Book and what Ian Book's already good at, now we're cooking. So it's just kind of frustrating, you know, because that – so – and the other thing is people were bringing up the idea that if this is how it's going to be, this offense could look a lot different if Phil comes in the game for any reason um, because he could throw the deep ball so accurately and he's a good runner of the ball too. Big, strong, pretty quick, athletic as hell. And so some of what he's really, really good at is not the same as what Ian Book's really, really good at. And so it's going to be interesting to see what the game plan is when Phil gets in there. And obviously it's going to depend greatly on, you know, is Phil in there because we're beating Louisville by four scores? Or is Phil in there because Ian takes a helmet to the ribs and we need him to win a game? Obviously those game plans and, and play calls are going to be vastly different, but uh, it, it's it's an interesting thing with Phil. Uh, it, it it just is, and um, uh, just a lot of ups and downs, and just some frustrations, uh, but some good stuff. And so I I I think it's one of those deals where you're just not going to know until you see him play, and then you'll start to figure it out. I, I do because it, it's just so up and down and all over that I just think we're going to have to wait and see. Now. This is not going to be breaking news to anybody if you've been listening to my show, but the other thing that everybody talked about was how athletic and fast Notre Dame's wide receivers can be and how they're making plays and how they're getting yak and all this kind of stuff. I mean, you're talking about Lawrence Keyes, Braden Lindsey, Michael Young has stood out from all reports above all the other receivers. I think you know what you're going to get out of Fink and Claypool. Just stay healthy. But to hear that Michael Young is standing out, making plays everywhere, has good bursts, and looks really fast. Yeah, I love it. Sign me up for that. You add in Lawrence Keyes and Braden Lindsey, and now you got something cooking. Again, though, this comes back to what I've been saying. I've been saying for a while now that there's speed at the receiver position Notre Dame hasn't had in a long time. But that speed is only... Awesome if it's utilized correctly. So again, Brian Kelly and Chip talk about expanding this offense, all these big plays, yards after catch, that's the next step, blah, blah, blah. I'm fine with that. But again, I got to see it. Not against Louisville, not against New Mexico. I got to see it against Georgia to believe it. Use these guys the right way. Get them the ball in space. Let them do what God made them to do. Be athletes and make moves, okay? What I wanted from the Clemson game, send Braden Lindsay. Say, run really fast and get under this ball and catch it. Do some more of that. My plan, crossing patterns all day. Pick plays every play. Seriously, they're not going to call it every single time. Cross guys over the middle, lead them, give them the ball in space. Let these guys do the work for you. So it's good to hear they're healthy. It's Listen, I know what I'm going to get out of Fink and Claypool as long as they're healthy. Not worried about that. I want to see these other guys get chances. And I'm not even talking about Kevin Austin because we don't know what his situation is. 
and how suspended he is. I'm totally fine with it. I mean, it is what it is. And I think we'll touch on that a little bit later. So I'm not even including him. But between Fink, Claypool, Young, Keys, Lindsey, there's speed. Just use it the right way. Please let them, let them show that off. Let them do it. There was also notes about Tommy Tremble in motion in an H-back role, and I, I love to see that. You know, like, I think this note was from before the injury, though, to Komet, so I, I just don't know what's going to change at tight end, but they're obviously going to be limited. Those, those two tight end sets, throwing it to the tight ends like I wanted to get back to, you're not going to see that till he's till Komet's back. You're just not. You're just not. Maybe Tremble can do it. It's just not going to be as much or as many chances for those guys. It's just not. Um, it, it seemed like with the running backs, a few different people mentioned they were surprised to see the burst from Jameer Smith and multiple guys mentioned how he has a burst. They didn't quite remember seeing from him. Well, that's encouraging. So between him and Jafar and Tony Jones and Kyron, I, I just think you're going to end up with some sort of natural lineup of who deserves carries by who's making plays. I, I do. So I expect some sort of like rotation. And if one guy steps up and if it's Jameer Smith and he starts busting runs, hand him the ball, feed the monster. Okay. So I just think, that, you know, early on, they're going to rely on Jafar and Tony Jones, probably just because of their experience. But if these young kids, if you could get something out of Kyron and you could get something out of Jameer Smith, I'm all for it. Let the kids who deserve plays, more plays, get more plays. And so we're just going to see who rises to the top, who makes plays, who wants to who wants to say, I'm getting carries, make plays. Now, in terms of the offensive line, there isn't that much you can gauge when they're in t-shirts or shells or, or whatever, okay? Um, it seems that everybody's in great shape. That's the first thing people mentioned. Uh, the day of the offensive lineman with the huge, huge beer belly at Notre Dame are over. Uh, it seems like everybody's in great shape, ready to take that next step. Um, I, the offensive line needs to be better this year. They just do. If this offense is going to take the jump forward that everybody expects, wants, and needs, the offensive line is obviously a huge part of that. Uh, I've referenced before, 25% of Notre Dame's runs last year went for zero or negative yards. That's too much. That's too much. And there's too much talent for this offensive line to perform like that. One out of four plays are going for nothing or putting you behind the sticks. Not good enough. This entire offensive line needs to obviously with everything stay healthy but they all need to individually take a step forward for the whole group to step forward that's the thing with offensive line play you're not a receiver where they throw you the ball and if you catch it you made a good play all it takes is for one mistake on the offensive line to blow up an entire play so as an entire unit they all need to mature ease into their roles and just be better quite frankly and, and I don't see any reason that they shouldn't be, um, you know, with the experience that they all have together now. So uh, we need to see 
There can't be those days like Pittsburgh where you're just getting pushed back for no reason. Like that's so frustrating and stupid. You you just can't have those days. That that entire group needs to take a step forward. It's just it it amazes me sometimes to think about how long Brian Kelly took to get serious about having a real strength and conditioning program. That still frustrates me and I still can't believe it. And the differences we've seen now are massive. I it's it's totally night and day, and it's changed the entire program. I, I just can't believe it took him that long to get real and get serious about it. The The other thing that's been brought up about this offensive line that I wanted to mention is, and I don't know if it's good or bad or neutral, but it's been talked about, I forget if it was Irish Illustrated or one of them guys was saying, this group doesn't really have like the Quentin Nelson Mahler type offensive line where it's just going to be like overpower run you over, bull rush you. But saying that they're a lot more athletic overall. And so I don't know in offensive line play whether that's good, bad, or neutral. I don't, I don't know enough to make it a hard opinion on that. Or, or how that athleticism translates in a play. Does that mean that if your first step is back to protect for a pass play and, and you're off balance, you're more athletic that you can get back in position and get lower leverage and still win your matchup for that play. I just don't know enough about it. But I thought that was interesting that a couple people mentioned how athletic the group is, but seemingly not having that Mauler type. I don't I don't know. What I'd prefer is probably a couple Maulers and a couple athletic guys at tackle. That's probably what I'd prefer is to have a blend, um, you know, but but I don't know, but that was an interesting note. But there is no reason not to expect the offensive line to take a big step forward. Why? Why would they not, barring catastrophic injury? So that's what I expect. They need to form as a unit and take the next step. Let's touch on the defense a little bit. And this is, this is going to be really really interesting um, to watch early in the year Notre Dame's defense. There's so many questions that I have and and I think some of them are probably going to be answered in a positive way and some of them are going to be answered in a negative way. But there's just question marks all over this defense. And, um, you know, I know one thing Clark Lee said is that he plans to be much more aggressive and use the defense's length and speed this year more than in years past. Um, and the other the other thing that I've been gathering is that this defensive staff finally feels like they're getting some players that are good fits. They're recruiting guys that fit these positions. Um, and before, I think it was kind of like, here's what we have. Let's adapt what we're doing to that. And now I think it's to the point where they're recruiting guys to fill specific roles with their body type, what they're good at, the kind of you know length you want at certain spot. Like, and I think that gives the defensive staff some confidence because they're seeing guys that are naturally fitted to these positions rather than trying to fit a scheme around the talent you have. And I do think that could be beneficial. And, and the one thing overall with this defense I kept reading and hearing is they are really long and lengthy and rangy and kind of fast. 
And I think those are ways to describe Notre Dame's defense that I'm not really used to hearing. And But a lot of people mention that, how like even those linebackers that we don't know what's going to happen, and I'm going to get to that, they cover the field well. They're very long. They're rangy. They're fast. Um, and so you, you look at that, and then you look at what you have at the defensive end positions, and there's a lot to be excited about there. Um, but I just think those questions that we all had going in are still questions. Interior, middle, defensive line, and the middle of your defense with those linebackers. Those are just still question marks. And I don't know what to make of it till I see it against Georgia, quite frankly. That's your first test. So do all you want to do. Fit, try different guys here. That I don't, Do it all. And, and I'll trust your judgment of who you're going to put where. But it makes me nervous because it's just not known entities. And so if you have the guys to do it, I'm totally fine being more aggressive. And they probably feel like with the defensive end depth that they do, they can push it a little bit. But again, that interior defensive line worries me. It just does. Do you realize Georgia's offensive line averages 322 pounds? Okay. It helps to have a 300-pounder plus clogging up the middle there. We don't have that. Jerry Tillery's gone. So that worries the hell out of me, okay? That's how Georgia connects to this kind of thing. What worries me about that Georgia game more than anything else is I'm worried that Georgia's strength is our biggest weakness, and that is our defense right up the middle. Oh, look at these great defensive ends we have. Well, if they run right up the gut for six yards, Kareem's not going to be able to impact the game because he's by the time he gets there, they're already going to be running the ball for six or seven yards up your giggy. Okay, so so that worries me. And then you got the next level, and it's those linebackers where it's pick a player, shuffle them in and out. So that's what worries me about that George game more than anything else. I feel that their strength, offensive line and running the ball, may be our weakness. And so we need, I have some ideas on how we're going to, we should handle it, but it makes me nervous. So overall, I'm in the same position I kind of started at, where my opinion was, I wouldn't be surprised to see this offense take a step forward and the defense take a little step back. Is that ideal? Obviously, that's not ideal. I say all the time on the record, if you're going to let me pick between a reliable, great offense or a reliable, great defense, I'm taking defense 100% of the time. Now, why we go over this all the time. It's not as affected by weather or just having an off day. Um, if you have a good defense, it just shows up every week. Everybody has a bad week throwing the ball if you're a quarterback at some point, even if it's not due to weather, okay? There's just more variables there. The other reason I always defer to a good defense for Notre Dame over offense is very simply the schedule we play is so well-rounded. And we have to adapt to so many different offenses. You need a really good defense that's capable of doing that. If we were in the Big 12 and just had to score 60 points, I might look at this differently. But with Notre Dame's situation, having a adaptable, reliable defense is always how I'm going to defer. And, and so nothing's changed with this. I, I expect the offense to be more explosive and take another step. But I am a little nervous about defensive regression. How much is going to determine whether you're 11 and 1, 10 and 2, 
Nine and three would be a disaster this year. You can't go nine and three. Not with the talent on this roster. I don't care that your biggest games are on the road. Go win them. If you're good enough, go win them. Who cares if it's on the road? Sick of people writing down losses just because games are on the road. Go in there and beat somebody. Who the hell cares? Shut up their crowds. So don't tell me you're going to pencil in losses to Georgia, Michigan, and Stanford just because it's not in South Bend. Go win a game. So you, you know what you're going to get out of the defensive end position. I just want to circle back to this, but you're looking inside. I'm looking at Myron and Jason Adamanola, and these guys are under 300 pounds. And nose guard, like uh, Lacey is going to get bigger. And Heinish, these guys are under 300 at nose guard. I would just prefer bigger bodies there. This is not ideal. And I'm just worried that we're just going to get ran over up the middle there. And, and I know those guys are trying and they're going to get better. But it could just be a pure size thing, okay? George's offensive line is 322 pounds. It's hard for me to think he's going to lose that many battles to guy 285. I'm sorry. It's just math. And I'm not even good at math. But that's that's what happens when you don't land the next 330-pound guy to clog up the middle and get some push. So that's the situation we're in. Now, I have an idea of how to work around this. That's a thing. You can't just sit up here and bitch about stuff. You got to offer some solutions. And I think I have one. So I want to finish getting through these position groups and then tell you my plan. Here's what I would do, especially when you go to Athens. The next group I want to talk about is the secondary. And, and so this is something I can't imagine how good it would be if Julian Love came back because people are already saying this group looks amazing and they're one of the best units on the field, if not the best so far in camp. So I, I can't even romanticize enough about what it'd be like if Love came back. But Troy Pride's Troy Pride. Okay, that's fine. You know what you're going to get out of that corner position. Here's the thing, guys. And this is a big, big, big question mark I had, pleasant surprise. It's something I've talked about we need to look at as a problem. From all accounts, Dante Vaughn is having a hell of a session here in the fall. Okay? Now, I know we're all haunted from our last Dante Vaughn memories and all that. It seems like he had this arm-shoulder issue most of the year and he was in good position to make plays, but he couldn't raise his arm. And it's kind of hard to knock balls down when you can't raise your arm when you're in coverage. But everybody's saying he's having a great, he had a great week of practice. And he was all over guys, making plays, breaking up passes. So here's the deal with Dante Vaughn. We owe it to him. We owe it to Notre Dame and we owe it to ourselves to just wipe the slate clean and start over with Dante Vaughn. It, it's not fair if he was that banged up for us to all have recency bias and and cringe when we hear his name in the starting lineup or, or or when he's on the field. So I am fine starting over with Dante Vaughn uh, if he's healthy. And, and everybody's saying he's playing terrific. So that is a development. <clears throat> I've been saying that corner position opposite Troy Pride, something we need to look at. I've been mentioning that for months. So to hear that he's stepping up and making plays, I don't think, I think a lot of people wrote him off or at least had like a question mark slash negative uh, early on with this. And so that's a great development. I'm really, really happy to see that. And I'm totally willing 
to wipe the slate clean and start over with Dante Vaughn now that he's healthy. And I think all of you should as well. It's the right thing to do. It's the fair thing to do. And if Notre Dame thinks that's the best chance to win, we got to get behind it and see how it goes. So that is a terrific positive development. Now, here's the other thing is you already knew what you had in Jalen Elliott and Aloe Gilman back there at the safety position. You already knew they were good. You already know they're leaders. You already know they're hard hitters. Okay, we already knew that. But this Kyle Hamilton deal, uh, again, trying not to overreact to like stats in these practices or whatever. He's an athletic freak and they're not going to be able to keep him off the field. He's an athletic freak. He's like 6'4", faster than hell. He's all over the place. And so it seems like they are not... Brian Kelly doesn't like playing young guys. Sometimes to the fact that I think it's a detriment. Um, he's notorious for not trying to play young guys. I, I don't think you're going to be able to keep this kid off the field. And I think he's going to make plays. And he's a freshman. And he's just going to get better. Um, but he's an absolute athletic freak. He looks comfortable out there. He's making plays. And they're not going to be able to keep him off the field. And that's amazing. Because what do you want? Gilman to never come off the field the whole year? Like These guys can't play every single snap. So to see that he is that comfortable, he's that... He has what I want out of these linebackers, which is somebody who just has that natural inclination to know where to be, like Drew Tranquil did, to just kind of know where he needs to be. For being this young, having that athletic of a 6'4 body frame and being able to do all this, that's what you're looking for. That's what you're looking for. So that is an absolutely terrific development. We were all excited to see if he would live up to the hype. So far in camp, it sounds like he absolutely has. So I'm here for it, um, and I love it. So by by all accounts, that secondary, both the corners and safeties, have been absolutely terrific. Rangy, fast, making plays. Um, every ball is contested. Uh uh, this 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 could be a really, really good group. And now here is another thing I want to loop back to be relevant for the Georgia matchup, okay? I talked about having solutions. You can't just say, you know, we're deficient here. What are we going to do, okay? So with this, the questions at linebacker, which we're going to get to, that's the last group I want to cover. With the questions we have at linebacker, especially the interior of that, with the questions we have, at interior defensive line. Here's the deal, guys. I don't think you could just straight up play Georgia and beat them uh, in Athens. I, I just don't think you could do that. I do. I just think there is an obvious athleticism, talent, and depth difference between these two uh, rosters. I just do. And if you don't think that, then I would just suggest you're not paying enough attention or being honest with yourself about how the how Georgia's been recruiting, okay? We've yet to see them break through and win the big games, just like Notre Dame. But to me, when I just line up the rosters in terms of athleticism and depth, they have a clear edge, okay? So I don't think you could just play them straight up and expect to beat them. I think offensively and defensively, maybe on special teams, and I'm going to get to that in a little bit too, you're going to have to take some chances, and I'm totally cool with that. If you're going to lose to Georgia, I'd rather you do it being smartly aggressive and taking some chances than to be conservative and piddle down your pants like we did in Miami going into that environment. 
So I'm fine taking some chances. Offensively, defensively, special teams. I'm fine with it. Offensively, you know what I want. Let some speed guys make some plays. Pull out some trickeration. Do something deep. Let these guys make plays. That's offense. Defensively. Here's what I'm fine with. If this secondary is as good as advertised, I am totally cool taking some chances up front and relying on those guys to play man-on-man coverage. And if Fromm beats him, Fromm beats him. But just don't get beat getting gashed up the middle where they run the ball for six or seven yards a play. So if, if this secondary is that good, I am totally cool letting them play press man, trusting them in their one-on-one matchups, pinching the defense in, pinching those linebackers to try and fill those run gaps in the middle. I'm totally fine with that. That is a chance, that is a gamble strategically I'm willing to take because I think it's going to take set that to beat them. So when you're scared about getting ran up up the middle, go ahead and jam a couple of those linebackers in there too. And just tell them to go after the ball. So I, if if that's something we need to do, I'm totally fine with it. That's a gamble I'm willing to take. I would much rather Fromm beat us with his arm than us just get mauled and ran over downhill for six or seven yards per run play. That is death by a thousand cuts. Six yards, seven yards, seven yards, first down. Now you're tired. Boom. Then they hit the big one. It's a touchdown. Seen it a million times. How many times have you seen it look like the other team's running downhill on Notre Dame? Literally down a hill with that momentum. Okay? So, if that's something we need to do, is to leave these guys out on an island so that we can pinch the other defense in to help that middle, totally cool with it. Take that chance. You're going to need to do something. You're going to need to steal a score, do something against Georgia. You're going to have to find a way. So, this is one way defensively I'm fine with. Now, when we get to these linebackers, here's the first thing everybody said. Owusu Karmoa is going to be going to be the starter there at Rover, and Paul Muala is also going to play there. That seems like Owusu Karmoa has really impressed people. That seems like that that competition's over. We know where that's going to be. So then maybe that tells me he needs to be the leader of this group then overall, regardless of what happens with the other positions. If he's stepped and risen above and claimed that spot. I'm looking to him to take the next step for that group and become the leader of that group. Okay? So I want to see that from him. With the other two spots, it's just been musical chairs. Okay? And from everything I've heard with Bilal, they like White, they like Bauer, Jen Markeith, Lamb, Simon. Okay, these guys are... There's been a heavy rotation for those two interior spots. People moving all over. They're trying to find the right fit. Yeah, that's not ideal. You'd rather know what you have. But go ahead and figure it out. Now is the time to try and figure it out. Waiting till you're losing to Georgia is not the time to figure out a guy can't handle it. So it is what it is. The one thing that I do think helps with this process is, regardless of what that rotation is with those two interior spots, and I do think there is going to be some sort of a heavy rotation early just to kind of see who fits where and in, in what situations and what packages and who's good at blitzing, all this different stuff. Um, however that works out, 
everybody's mentioned how athletic and fast this group is, how much ground they cover, how lengthy they are. Okay, I like that. And that's not something you could say. As much as we love Drew Tranquil, you're not going to say that about Drew Tranquil. And so I guess my hope is if they're so rangy and lengthy and fast and, and sideline to sideline and all this stuff and they could cover more passing windows with their length, I, I'm, that helps make up for some of the mistakes that these first-time starters are going to make because they're go whoever it's going to be is going to be a first-time starter. They're going to take some wrong first steps. They're going to fall for some false moves, okay? That speed and that ranginess can help cover some of that up to where we can recover. And, and so if, if that's a worst-case scenario is that you're going to have these mistakes while these young guys are learning these new roles – at least having these people that are fast and athletic and rangy should help make up for that first wrong step or, or help us cover some ground there. But listen, guys, there's, there's just no doubt that the middle heart of your defense in the linebacking core is not an ideal spot to have these question marks. So with Owusu Karmoa claiming the one spot, then here's the deal for the other two spots. The rest of camp, if I was the coaching staff, I would be pushing this. This is the University of Notre Dame. Yeah, we haven't won a title in 30 damn years. I know that. Trust me. You don't have to remind me. But it's still a big deal to be a starting linebacker at Notre Dame. So who the hell out of this group wants to step up and claim that spot? Or two. Who wants it? I'm looking for guys to step up the next few weeks and make enough plays that they're claiming a starting linebacker job at the University of Notre Dame. Who wants it? Step up, make plays, become a leader. It's a terrific opportunity for these guys. Who wants to make plays? So my message to that group and all these guys who are competing for that playing time for those other two linebacking spots are step up for yourself, Step up for this particular team. Step up for Notre Dame overall and claim a damn starting job. I want to see guys emerge. I The worst thing that could happen to me is for us to get to the beginning of the season for the Louisville and they say, yeah, we still think it's going to be guys rotating all over and we're just going to see how it kind of goes. I want two guys to step up and stand out and claim spots. That would be the ideal situation. That's what I need to happen. Somebody claim a damn role. So while, yes, I'm concerned overall, obviously, because of the lack of proven experience, I'm at least encouraged that they seem to be very fast, athletic, and rangy. And I, I get some comfort out of that. I think that's going to help with this process. They're going to cover more ground when they make that first move. And then how dangerous are they going to be once they know what they're doing? and have those athletic abilities, okay? So that's the deal with the linebackers. We're just going to have to see it, but I'm waiting for two guys to step up and claim starting spots. I'm waiting. And, I mean, I got to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't have the hairline anymore for it, but kicking is is still an issue. Um, I have just heard the competition for field goals between Dorr and the walk-on, Harrison Leonard, is pretty darn tight. And they're open to whoever wins it. So 
I don't think that's ideal. You would like to think the door, the big, heavy-footed recruit everybody made a big deal about would win that job far and away, but I don't don't care at this point. Uh, Harrison Leonard seems to have less of a strong leg than door. However, he's more accurate, and when he kicks, the ball seems to spin the roll the same way and is always kind of more in the middle. He just doesn't have as big of a leg, but it seems like it's more consistently coming off his foot in terms of sound and shape. And then Dora has a bigger leg. It's just you don't know if he's going to do like me on the first tee and duck hook one, 300 yards left. So you just don't know. And so however it works out, figure it out. But I'm going to blow my stack if we lose a game due to special teams. I am absolutely going to blow a stack. So it's an open competition as far as the kicking goes. And if the freshman wins it, the freshman wins it. Uh, I don't care if he doesn't have that big of a leg. Get If you get into that range where he can't do it anymore, guess we're going for it on fourth down, and I'll trust Ian Book. I'm fine with that. But I need consistency here. I can't be questioning whether we're going to lose a dumb game due to this. I can't handle it. And then Bramblett, this is interesting. Um, Brian Kelly made the note that he has a good arm, and he was laughing about that. If that's a way you're going to try and steal a score against Georgia and it makes sense for where we're at in the game and where we're at in the field, go ahead and try and steal one. Again, I'm fine with it. I don't think you beat Georgia straight up talent versus talent. If you if you got to steal a score and you think that could be a way and you do it smartly, even if it doesn't work, I'm not going to kill you for it. So I thought that was an interesting note that he said, something to keep in mind. I, I just think you're going to have to steal a score somewhere against Georgia. A pick six, a turnover, a kick. A trick play, something. I feel like we're going to need to steal one. And then before we get into our always annoyed segment today, uh, I want to hit on something that is a very general, big picture point that's been brought up this camp. And I think this may damn well be one of the most important factors to keep in mind as we move into the season. And that is multiple people have said This camp has started with a very, very high energy compared to some other years, even some decent, what ended up being decent teams. I think that's very important. Um, And I just kind of think how you start camp is kind of how you're going to roll into the season. And so to hear that the energy is super high, guys are pumped up even for walkthroughs, um, that there's just that electric vibe and not like, oh, it's the dog days of summer. I just have to get through this workout type deal. I like that and I think that's encouraging. So it really seems like the guys are excited to play. They're ready to play. They're ready to get after it. And I love that. So hearing that we have that kind of energy, I think is super positive as we move forward into camp. I love it. That being said, Those are my general bullet points from kind of the first week of camp and where I think we're at. It's time for Always Annoyed, and I got a twist for you this time. I got a twist for you this time. This is an Always Annoyed, but with a positive outcome. This is perfect, absolutely perfect. So let me set it up for you, okay? As some of you know, I was in Florida uh, doing some family stuff. 
We're staying uh, at this beautiful uh, hotel, right, on the ocean. And so every day what I would usually do is as you're walking through the lobby to go out to where the pool is and the tiki bar by the pool, the patio, and where the stairs are that lead you down to the ocean, on your way out that door to your right, right before you go out, is the one and only little like bistro cafe uh, coffee shop kind of multi-purpose little spot. So you could go there and eat breakfast. They have Starbucks in there, you know, whatever, order a breakfast sandwich. And then at lunch, they have, you know, lunch sandwiches and fries, that kind of thing. This is the one and only place in the hotel that offers food. This is it. Otherwise, you have to go off campus and figure something out. So me being on vacation and with a ton of family and friends, I tied it on most of these nights and got in at 32 o'clock drank enough beer that'll last me, you know, through football season. And so I was usually dragging in the mornings. And all I want to do is go into that little little cafe, get a large regular coffee, and then sit by the pool and drink it and look at the beautiful sun and be by the beach. That's all I want to do. That's it. I don't require anything else. I don't even require food at that point. Just want to sip that coffee Sober up a little bit and enjoy the sun. That's it. Well, the little coffee place in this little cafe is a Starbucks. Now, for me, this isn't ideal. It's not ideal for a few reasons. One, I'm not a Starbucks guy, okay, for a couple reasons. One is, Starbucks to me seems like it's for people who want fancy stuff. Okay, I don't need a coffee ran through eight filters with six shots of this in it and a mocha stroka choka lot. I don't understand what any of that stuff means. I, I just want coffee. Just give me plain coffee. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm, I don't, but I don't like that. Okay. I don't know what that means. I don't know why we need to do all this stuff to coffee. Um, and I don't like kind of the arrogance that comes with the Starbucks thing. And it's like, John, what do you mean? It's just a coffee place. What do you mean arrogance? I'll give you a great example. What's wrong with small, medium, and large? Why don't they just have small, medium, large? Oh, it's grande this. I don't know what the hell that means. I just want a large coffee. Tall, grande. They have stuff that I don't even know what it means. I I even feel inferior just ordering a coffee because I don't know what size to get. Give me large. So those are two things right there. It rubs me the wrong way that you think you're too important to just have small, medium, and large sizes so a regular person like me could go in there and not feel inadequate and just order a coffee, okay? So I don't like that. And the foo-foo, foodie thing, you know, uh, I, I don't do it. I don't need uh, mocha choka stroka uh, in all my l- l- coffee. I don't know what that is. I don't know why people need it. And the other thing is it's just it just costs too damn much, especially when all I'm getting is a regular coffee. So those are my problems with Starbucks in general. Just th- there's an air of arrogance, okay, with the whole thing there and it people that religiously go there for their specialty thing, it rubs me the wrong way. Okay, it just does. Sorry, just a regular guy. Want regular coffee. So 
Starbucks would not be my first choice. Now, the quality of the product's good. I'm just not willing to pay or wait in line behind 80 people ordering all these specialty drinks when I just need coffee. So I don't pick Starbucks if I got options. But in this case, it was the only thing available, so I'm going to Starbucks. Now, of course, me being me, on the elevator on my way down to this Starbucks in my little, you know, flip-flops in my trunks here, I'm thinking, man, I need a coffee to help get rid of this headache and the fog from whatever took place last night. Um, And I just hope there's not a 12-person line down there because I'm not doing that if that's the case. I'd rather have a headache than, than wait in that line. To my surprise, I get down there. There's only two people in front of me in line. There's a bunch of people already eating and drinking, sitting down, but there's only two people ordering in front of me in line. Not too bad for like a resort type area. I decide to roll the dice. Now, this was a setup where there's two registers and only one was open. So that automatically bothers me. That's like the, the lottery thing, the gas station thing. Get, you got to give me some. Come on, man. Divide this work up. Pay two girls to be down there instead of one. Open these registers for the morning rush. Anyways, so it's just the one girl. And so there's two people in front of me. The one guy that's in front of me appears to have some sort of what I would describe as some hipster hair bun type thing. He's dressed, uh, he's wearing like those those annoying shoes with the toes, individual toes, okay, which drives me absolutely crazy. So, so this guy's already on my nerves because he pulled out those toe shoes, which are uglier than sin. And he's got the hair bun and a little satchel. So I'm already kind of scared of this guy. What's he going to pull? Just do something normal, buddy, is what I'm thinking. But I could tell just by his demeanor and the way he was dressed, it couldn't be that easy. Sure enough, this guy can't be normal. He starts giving this poor girl at the register some sort of hipster breakfast sandwich foodie order that I don't even understand with directions and instructions to this poor girl behind the counter. I, they must have been instructions of how to get to King Tut's tomb. I mean, it's one of those deals where it's a small space. So once this guy orders this sandwich with 80 different specialty things he wants on it and not on it, the girl turns around and starts making it so the guy can see her making it. So then he's doing play-by-play instructions pointing to her, no, more of this, less of that. I want that cooked more when it goes on. All of this for like some sort of breakfast bagel. Seriously. So he's pointing, you know, oh, no, I want more of that, too much of this, doing all this. Take it forever. Now, since there's only one girl working, she kind of has to start an order and finish an order before she can move forward. That's not her fault. But she has to kind of start an order and finish it. But this guy's out of control. No, I want more of that. The eggs cook too much. No, I want this. He's saying words I don't even know what they are of what's going on in this sandwich. No clue. So after about six or seven minutes, now my patience, even my vacation level of patience is running thin. So I'm starting to, you know, get a little antsy back there. I know the girl can see me kind of shaking my head like, are you freaking kidding me with this order? Let's go. So finally, after about seven minutes, this guy's delicacy is is all cooked to perfection and he 
takes his scooter off or whatever these hipster people do and moves along, okay? So now there's just one just innocent-looking middle-aged lady in front of me, and I'm just thinking, lady, please just order a coffee. Like, please, do me a favor. Just order something normal. So she does order a coffee, which is a relief to me, except she orders four coffees, each of them with their own instructions that I can't even understand. I don't understand it. You have to be kidding me. What this, what she asked this barista to make, honestly, it, it looked like a, a high school chemistry experiment back there. I don't understand that she's mixing things, measuring things out, dumping stuff in here, spinning this, whipped cream that. It, it looked like a combination of Marsha Brady's volcano and the set of Breaking Bad. That's what it looked like. That kind of level of chemistry experiment. So this lady orders God knows what. Each of these four coffees had a bunch of different stuff mixed in it that I don't understand, have no clue what it was. I mean, it looked like castrol oil. They're dumping in there, mixing it, frappe this, oh, do this, mix that. One's hot, one's cold, whipped cream here, this, that, times four. So now I've just about had it. By now there's 10 people behind me in line. But I can't leave. I've committed to the cause. Now I've already burned 20 minutes of good Florida sunlight doing this. So finally, the, all four of this lady's drinks are done. So then what's the next thing she did? She had a wrestling match with the little cardboard thing that the four coffees go in. Lady, just put them in there and leave. She's fighting it. You know, there's a little whipped cream over the side. She can't get all of them to sit flat in the little thing. I swear to God, I was just about to grab the whole thing and just throw it on the floor. I, so she's fighting with the container to get her little things in. Finally, finally, she gets her stuff and leaves, and it's my turn at the register. I've just about had it. By now, I'm turning red. I'm annoyed. I'm beyond annoyed with these people. I feel bad for the girl. It's not her fault, okay? I f she knew I was frustrated because she could see me. You know, she's looking out at the line. She could see me rolling my eyes and getting frustrated the whole time. But she was in a bad spot. It's finally my turn. And she says, sir, how can I help you? I said, unlike these two, I'm going to make it really easy for you. Can I just get a plain large coffee? The girl laughs. She's probably in her mid-20s, mid you know, like just a nice girl trying to make a, a little bit of money. She laughs, says to me, I'm really sorry you had to sit through that. That was pretty rough, but I'm alone today. I can't go any faster. And I said, you know what? I, I can appreciate that. Like, I, I'm fine with that. She acknowledged it. She knew it was a problem, apologized. She pours the large coffee, which takes one second because all I order is something normal from Earth that comes out of the jug that's already made. So she pours this coffee in one second, hands it to me, and says, you know what? This one's on the house. You don't owe me anything for that. Nobody should have to wait that long to order a coffee. Boom! 
Full circle, always annoyed. Now, she probably got fired. <laughs> it was on camera that she gave me the coffee for free. But in the moment, that's how it should work, people. That's how it should work. So what did I do? I smiled. I said, thank you so much for understanding. It's just a little bit ridiculous. What did I do? Handed the girl five bucks as a tip. And I said, here you go. Don't put this in the jar where you all split. I said, I want you to have this. Thank you very much. See, that's how it should go. Full circle. This girl gets it. She understands that what I was dealing with was ridiculous. She made good on it. And then I rewarded her for that. This is how it should work. So this was the perfect instance of always annoyed having a positive outcome. I couldn't have been happier. I had a smile on my face and I just started thinking, this is the perfect thing to record because it, it worked the right way. This is how it should go. So thank you to whoever your name is, Barista at the Marriott in Fort Lauderdale. I appreciate you. All right, that's going to be it, guys. Um, now that we're in the season, it's fast and furious every week. And when we get into the season, probably two times a week, I'm working on something uh, so something else to add that we could do in another show per week. So we're in it for the long haul now. Uh, I did take the week off. That's going to be the last one till after football is done. So you're going to get me on the regular schedule, and we're going to be hitting it hard because there's real-ass football to talk about. That being said, that's it for this show. I'll talk to you on Twitter. We'll see you next week or if there's any big breaking news. Take care.